What are you writing, Papa? Asks a red-headed four-year-old girl, craning her neck to see the letters her father scribbles with a quill pen onto parchment. Patsy, when did you slip in here? The tall man in a red vest smiles, instinctively clasping the parchment and hiding it away. Worry not about what I write. It is not for little minds. It's a secret? Papa, please tell me the secret. Is it about the King of England? Is he making more rules and I bad for the colonies? Is he taking my money from you? How do you know about King George the Third? Hmm. You listen too much to the adults talking. <laughs> Papa, I'm a beggar. You can tell me anything because I want to be smart and help you. You are already becoming very smart. And I am sure one day you will help me. Now, all you need to know is this. King George III lives all the way across the Atlantic Ocean in England. He does not listen to the good people here in the colonies of America. He makes rules that we did not approve, like the Stamp Act, which made colonists pay England money each time we bought a newspaper. He throws some of us in jail without letting us defend ourselves in court. He does not let us sell our tobacco and cotton to other countries. We can only sell it to England, and they give us a terrible low price for it. Ah! He sends his soldiers here without asking us, and if the soldiers hurt us, they don't get in trouble. When we make important laws to protect us, the king takes away those laws. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. Right now, he is sending German soldiers over here to fight us. Now, does this king seem kind and fair to you? No, Papa. He takes our freedom away. Yes, Papa. Am I free right now? I will make sure you are. No one can take away the freedom that belongs to every human being. Are you free? Little Patsy gazes innocently at Robert Hemmings, the kind 12-year-old boy who used to play with her and who now has the job of helping her father. The room seems to stand still. Robert Hemmings shakes his head for only Patsy to see. That is partly why I will travel to Philadelphia today. I have been chosen to represent Virginia at a very special meeting with leaders of all 13 colonies. We will decide how to handle this king who forces us to take part in the evil, moral depravity of enslavement. I know you write powerful things with your pen to make everybody free. Thomas Jefferson kisses his daughter's red curls as the tall, 33-year-old gathers several books and parcels, and Robert Hemmings appears with Jefferson's blue coat with gold lace from Paris. Very soon, he will help make history with the Second Continental Congress. Tell no one of our conversation, Patsy. We are not free yet. Hi, I'm your host, Heidi Illion, and this is Brilliant Mornings. Join us as we ignite a passion for history and learn from the great minds of the past. This season, we explore holidays in the United States, uncovering the poetry and narratives, written or oral, behind the great men and women of the past. Independence Day, or the 4th of July, excites families across the United States. 
we throw parties, barbecues, and usually end the night by attending fireworks shows. As we ooh and ah over the bright colors in the sky, we may be thinking of the battles fought for freedom in America, or we may completely have forgotten about them. When Congress approved the Declaration of Independence on July 4th of 1776, it began a long fight for freedom. Quite literally, the colonists fought the English in the Revolutionary War for the next seven years. A fight for freedom began in a different sense, with the Declaration's wording that all men are created equal. A much longer battle ensued for equal rights for all races within America. The Declaration of Independence marked the beginning of the first democratic republic of the modern world, an earth-shattering concept which many other nations later embraced. The important document serves as the mission statement and conscience of the new great nation of the United States. Well, here I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's bustling with life just like it was 250 years ago, except then there were horses and carriages and men in tights up to their knees and women in long, beautiful dresses. There weren't any skyscrapers or cars, or buses or bridges. Pretty much nothing that I'm looking at right now was here 250 years ago. Except, you're right, there were a couple of buildings, like this beautiful brick one in front of us, Independence Hall. I love that tall clock tower on top. I think that's where the bell rang to declare independence. I can just picture all of the representatives from the different colonies gathered inside for a secret session. Wait, did you know they were telling secrets? Well, kind of. They were committing the crime of treason, secretly planning to break away from England, their mother country who gave birth to them. Hold on. A country had a baby? Well, not exactly. What I mean is that England started new villages and towns all along the east coast of America that grew into whole colonies. England made rules for the colonies, helped them grow, and protected them just like a mother would do. Like a fierce mama bear, she even went to war for the colonies, fighting in the French and Indian War. So why would the colonies want to leave their mommy? Well, the baby colonies grew up. They wanted to have a say in what their rules would be, just like the people in England did. They wanted to decide how to spend their money, what to produce, and with whom to trade. However, because England had grown poor from all of her conquests and defending the colonies, her king instead focused on how to make more money off of the colonies, rather than giving them freedoms they sought. Without consulting the colonies, England passed a law called the Stamp Act. Were these like postage stamps? Well, no. Rubber stamps? Rubber ducks? No, 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 no. We are getting completely off track. It just meant that the colonists had to pay extra money each time they bought certain items. For example, if children bought a pair of dice, they had to pay an extra 10 shillings, which is close to $60 today. Can you imagine paying $60 for two dice? That's ridiculous. I just wouldn't want to buy dice anymore. It's like if you went to buy a Lego set that's normally $25, but now you go to the store and it's $150 or $200. Completely unaffordable. That wouldn't be worth it at all. Would that make you upset? That's exactly what was happening to the colonists. Everywhere they turned, taxes were being put on paper items. What's more, if someone in the colonies decided not to sell using that tax, they would have to pay a fine of something like $2,300. 
I mean, I could see why the people in the colonies were upset, but did they really need to go to war over it? I mean, it seems a little drastic. Well, sadly, things unraveled pretty quickly. Have you ever seen two people fighting and first it's just a little squabble and then things start to be said, insults and then punches are flying? I mean, these kind of things can get bad pretty quickly. The colonists complained about the stamp act taxes and the English king finally dropped it, but then he created new taxes on glass, paper, paint, tea, which made the colonists angrier than ever. One night in March of 1770, as snow fell on the city of Boston, Massachusetts, disgruntled colonists began throwing snowballs and sticks at the English soldiers. It's never a good idea to snowball soldiers. A fight broke out and the soldiers shot at the crowd though they weren't supposed to and killed five people. After this Boston massacre, England stopped charging taxes on everything except for tea. Though the colonists refused to drink the tea, England tried to force them to buy it and they sent poor quality tea to Boston in ships. Patriots, who were colonists that despised England's control over them, came up with a sneaky plan. They dressed up as Native Americans, crept onto the British ships, and threw all of the tea overboard into the water one night. When King George heard about this rebellious act, he punished all of Boston by sending soldiers to stop any boats from coming or going into the Boston Harbor. Now they could not receive deliveries of food and clothes or tools and they were going to starve. Other colonies rallied around them and sent them gifts of food and leaders from each colony met together to formally list their complaints to King George III. The king, however, did not listen to their desire to have the same rights as the people living in England, and instead, he sent warships to the colonies. We had better prepare for battle, the colonists warned each other. They stored up guns and gunpowder in a town called Concord, and many men and even boys decided to become Minutemen. They were not well trained, but they could get ready to fight in one minute in case an enemy came. Their moment to shine soon came. When the British discovered that the colonists had hidden weapons and ammunition, they marched to Concord to seize the guns and gunpowder. They also planned to capture the Patriot leaders in the town of Lexington. However, before they could get there, a brave man named Paul Revere galloped upon his horse throughout the towns, warning at the top of his lungs, the British are coming, the British are coming. The Minutemen jumped out of bed and courageously met the English soldiers. On this night, the first shot of the Revolutionary War was fired. Leaders from each colony met again in Philadelphia, forming the Second Continental Congress. We must create an official Continental Army to fight the English, they cried. Yes, and let's appoint George Washington as the commander of the army. He's had experience in fighting, and everyone agreed. The newly formed army bravely fought England's most powerful army in the world at several battles. Some colonists still longed to remain part of England. They hoped that the English king would change his mind and just give them their rights. But a growing group of people began to cry out for independence from England. Author Thomas Paine convinced many colonists of this in his book, Common Sense. He said that King George, by a steady and constitutional spirit of insolence and cruelty, procured for himself a universal hatred. It is now the interest of America to provide for herself. It is the interest of America to be separated from Britain. As colonists became roused by these words, they found out that German soldiers hired by King George III were sailing across the sea to fight them. The secret meeting of the Second Continental Congress continued and came to the conclusion that there is no chance of changing the king's mind now. They could not remain under his rule. 
it was time to take that frightening action of declaring independence from England. But who would write this important document? Let's peek in at the five men Congress chose to create this birthday document of the United States of America. The doors are closed to the warm June breezes outside as cartoonist Benjamin Franklin's heavy frame bounces as he chuckles quietly at his own comical sketch on the desk before him, secretly wondering if this declaration would cost him his life. Roger Sherman collects his thoughts at a nearby desk, marveling that his career, which began as a shoemaker, has led him to this most momentous, terrifying, thrilling moment in history. Robert Livingston, a member of a prestigious New York family which lived along the Hudson River, had no idea that only next year he would sacrifice his own property for the cause of liberty when his home would be burned by the British soldiers. 41-year-old lawyer John Adams sits at a desk scribbling a quick note to his wife Abigail, whose wise advice he often seeks. The ends of his coffee-colored hair have carefully been curled upward around his ears. He looks up suddenly and speaks sharply to Jefferson. You will write the document. Reason first, you are a Virginian, and a Virginian ought to appear at the head of this business. Reason second, I am obnoxious, suspected, and unpopular. You are very much otherwise. Reason third, you can write ten times better than I can. These words would prove true, and one day Thomas Jefferson would beat Adams in an election for the President of the United States. But for now, the two are still on the same team. Thomas Jefferson nods with serious eyes and a locked jaw, his tall frame stooped with the weight of this responsibility. Armed with quill pens and parchment, Jefferson retreats with Hemings to the Graff House, where he's rented two rooms. Jefferson writes feverishly between other meetings and engagements over the next 17 days, scribbling, thinking, and debating within himself. Have you ever copied ideas from your favorite books when writing your own stories? As Jefferson wrote, he decided to borrow the words of some other people he really respected, like Richard Henry Lee, who had called for independence earlier that month. Resolved that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. Jefferson used the Virginia Declaration of Rights and the draft he'd already written for the Virginia Constitution. His entire declaration would be organized according to the Enlightenment logic and reason, and drip with the ideas of John Locke, who stated that humans have unalienable rights of life, liberty, and estate or property. Jefferson writes strongly against the many horrible actions the English king had taken, including that he has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty, enforcing the practice of enslavement on the colonies. Perplexing and infuriating stands the fact that Jefferson himself enslaved hundreds during his lifetime. His conscience compelled him to demand justice and equality at the state level, but debt cultural norms, and perhaps the selfishness that plagues mankind prevailed over his conscience within the walls of his own home. Jefferson spoke clearly against slavery in his first draft of the Declaration of Independence, and this could have turned the course of this evil practice in the United States. But sadly, when Jefferson showed his writing to his colleagues and the rest of Congress, they demanded that he change so many parts that Jefferson called his writing mangled. 
Southern colonies whose businesses relied on the unpaid labor of the enslaved refused to sign the declaration if it denounced the practice. They removed the strong language against the slave trade, from which even some Northerners made money. Thus, the world-changing document which claimed that all men were created equal was not used to defend the rights of people of color for another 87 years, when Abraham Lincoln pointed to this document as grounds for freeing the enslaved. As soon as Congress approved the Declaration of Independence after the many edits on July 4, 1776, it was printed by Mary Catherine Goddard, the only woman to sign the document, and messengers on horseback traveled throughout the colonies, proclaiming their freedom from England. The Declaration of Independence begins like this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Can you find the words life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in this song? Play it over and over and you'll know by heart the most important message of the Declaration of Independence from its second paragraph. We are free to worship. We are free to speak. We have freedom of the press and assembly. We have independence here. We'll declare it loud and clear. We are free. Oh, we are free. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit
The story of America's independence was far from over on that July 4th. The colonies would continue to fight a bloody war for independence with England for seven more years. The Army's commander would become the first president, George Washington. Next, John Adams would serve as president for one term, only to have the presidency taken over by Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States. Jefferson's daughter, Martha, known as Patsy, became an important figure in the White House, welcoming guests and helping her father with his writings, following the confusing example he set of always denouncing enslavement, but never disentangling personally from the widespread evil. Hemings eventually earned his freedom and joyfully lived with his beloved family. Perhaps he listened in on the secret conversations about liberty and equality during the Second Continental Congress, for he surely recognized that the freedom promised in the Declaration of Independence belonged to him and all of humanity. The Declaration of Independence began a country like no other, in which liberty is of foremost importance, and the people elect their leaders and impact the writing of laws. It set the standard that men and women know in their hearts to be true, that all people are created equal. Many sacrificed to bring this freedom to all, and we have the choice each day to put this belief of freedom and equality into practice. Let us learn from the past and listen to the quiet voice of our consciences above the shouts of selfishness and the shifting tides of culture. It was written by Heidi Elliott with intro and outro music by Matt Graycar. We welcome our very special guest, Michael Sager from Sight and Sound Theater, who played the roles of Thomas Jefferson and Richard Henry Lee. Ruby LaBianca is our contributing artist, sharing for the first time her original composition, We Are Free, including the words of the Declaration of Independence. We welcomed back Henya Graycar, who composed music for and performed the Gettysburg Address. And a special thank you to our guest, Bella, who starred as Patsy today. Do you have a story to share about freedom? Please send it to me, along with any feedback on our episodes, in a private message on the Brilliant Mornings Instagram. Your story may be featured on an upcoming episode. Be sure that you've subscribed to the Brilliant Mornings podcast and please leave a review.